This podcast from Teacher Magazine is supported by Sound Scouts, the free hearing check for school children, helping to identify and eliminate undetected hearing loss. Sound Scouts is supported by Australian Hearing and the Federal Government. Download from the App Store or Google Play. Visit soundscouts.com for more information. Hello, and thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Rebecca Vukovic. How do children experience hope? And what does it mean to be hopeful? These are some of the questions I discuss with my guest, Dr. Avivit Cherrington, in today's Global Education podcast episode. Dr. Cherrington is a postdoctoral research fellow in the Faculty of Education at Nelson Mandela University in South Africa. She stopped by our Melbourne office for our interview today, where we chat about some of her latest work with rural South African children and their conceptualizations of hope. We talk about what it means to be hopeful from an Afrocentric worldview, its emphasis on belonging, connectedness and community, and how children around the world experience hope in their own settings. To begin, though, I asked Dr. Cherrington to tell us about her professional background and to give us some insight into the work she's currently doing at Nelson Mandela University. Okay, hi, um, Rebecca and listeners. So um, I started off as a psychologist uh, specialising in child wellbeing and learning. And uh, in South Africa, you have to do a year community service. And so I ended up working with a non-government organisation in communities. Um, and that entailed traveling around to different rural communities, marginalized communities, working in prison systems, um, uh, safety houses, and working with children and families towards optimal development and learning. And uh, from working with communities, I kind of realized that the school system is really the best place uh, to work with children because in rural communities and families, so many there were so many issues, so many problems. HIV and AIDS is a big issue in the country. So uh, there aren't a lot of adults, positive role models. And so I understood that if I really wanted to make change in community, I needed to cross over from community psychology into the education system. And that's where um, I entered the academic world. And so now I'm working at Nelson Mandela University, the Faculty of Education, looking at um, the teacher education programs and how can we really make teachers agents of change. Um, what is education in a South African context and, and how does education play a role in holistic development, not just cognitive development and content learning. And then I'm also aligned with a chair for critical studies in higher education transformation. There's a lot of change happening right now in South Africa in terms of what is the purpose of university, who should have access to university and how relevant uh, is university towards an African purposed curriculum and the needs of uh, African children. So it's kind of a dual role of looking both at the Faculty of Education and um, looking at education as change. Mm, Really interesting. And in 2017, a few years ago now, you published a study on rural South African children's conceptualizations of hope. So what were your aims for this study? Um, So what happened was I was I was traveling around and being in communities and at the same time reading a lot about 
intervention programs. We were funded by US um, Aid and PEPFAR and some European funders as well. And I was reading all these reports saying that African children are hopeless and that poverty uh, takes away people's hope. Um, and yet I wasn't seeing that. I was experiencing a lot of hope and a lot of resilience and a lot of celebration despite all the poverty and the disadvantage. And so I realized that there weren't really a lot of theories and models that explained a way of being, well-being, um, hope from an Afrocentric perspective. And an Afrocentric perspective is quite different from a Eurocentric in terms of the focus on um, relationality and collectivist oriented communities. And so I understood that a lot of these um, measurements and surveys that were coming in were very sort of one sided. They were talking about hope as an achievement base, as success, as goals. And that's not really from an African perspective where you would place hope. And so, you know, communities were measuring so low, and yet that wasn't what I was experiencing. And that's when I thought, well, I want to understand actually what does hope mean for an African community, for African children, so that are we actually placing programs for community development and for children properly, or are we kind of assuming that this is what they need and actually it's not well aligned? And so that's what I did. That was my aim is to really understand as, as an African community, as African children, growing up in a rural community, growing up in the context of HIV AIDS and um, crime and all the things that are happening in rural communities, um, what is hope to them and how could we really foster that? So then how did you go about conducting this study? So I knew that I used to travel from community centres and so I knew this community centre for about three years um, and I started with a community. I approached the traditional chief, um, the traditional office, I approached the um, the care workers and the board of directors, um, government people, and we started talking and I kind of explained this is what I'm interested in, this is what I want to do. Um, and so those conversations took almost a year before we even started engaging with the children because they are gatekeepers and I wanted this to be respectful and to be owned by the community. Um, and then we basically recruited the children from there. So having explained to the community workers what I wanted to do and why, having discussed what they thought was important and not, and we sort of designed it together, the, the prompt is really to have no more than 12, no less than six children from sort of primary school age that they felt could benefit from a HOPE intervention. So it was really up to them to select. And they came up with a list of children aged 9 to 12, um, yeah, and then we kind of engaged for a year-long process with the children, with the youth care workers as well, um, to kind of generate and understand what hope was. Yeah. And I read uh, some of the responses from the children, and they really are quite insightful. The children said that hope is about having a better life, one without stress, and one where you're able to look after yourselves and have your family around them. And of course, that's just a sample of some of the responses. So could you share with listeners some more about the findings? Sure. So um, it was really interesting that even the adult care workers were really surprised because I think they kind of went along with my ideas about hope, but kind of on their own thinking, but these are orphan children, you know, these are registered as needing support from government. These are children that have experienced all kinds of, you know, challenges. Why would they, you know, be talking to you about hope? And they were, you know, no, I wouldn't say resistant, but they were like, surely there's other children we could work with. And I'm like, no, no, I specifically want children 
And uh, even they, after a year-long engagement, were like, wow, you know, these children have so many strengths. These children are amazing. And they became these hope champions. They called them hope champions and they had value in the community, which was amazing because aside from really conceptualizing hope, it also allowed me to see that, you know, this is an amazing quality for psychologists, teachers, um, health professionals to work with. It's a tool because bringing in hope that is already there, um, but really fostering and engaging with it brings amazing results in terms of community development. And um, with the findings, um, what we added was a relational and collective level of hope. So the children saw hope on a contextual level. So the first thing was a person can only have hope if they have hope in their context. So they need to feel safe. They need to have a home. They need to have a love, you know, um, they need to have food. So those were the basics. But then it became more an, uh, a personal hope. So then it was when you, you have all those things, it becomes your responsibility now to make sure you're living a hopeful life. And then once you have hope, it becomes your duty to now give other people hope. And that's the relational aspect. So that hope isn't something that you have on your own. It's something that you build up so that you can then share. Um, and doing hope was very, very important for these children. And once you're able to do it on a relational level, they spoke about hope in the community because what's the point of being hopeful if your community is not hopeful? And again, this is from a collectivist, Afrocentric point of view is so crucial because your only your value as a human being is the value of where you belong, right? And if your whole community is in despair, then how can you be the only one who has hope? So then your duty becomes to build a hopeful community, you know, mm -hmm. and to all work to get together towards social cohesion, towards peace and harmony, towards getting along. Um, and that was a very interesting perspective to come from little children who are age nine to 12 to kind of understand that things that they were seeing like alcoholism, like uh, domestic violence, like abuse and crime, they understood that those things were happening because the community as a whole had lacked hope. And if they could somehow work together and build hope in the community, maybe people wouldn't be doing those things. And I thought that was quite amazing for nine-year-old children mm -hmm. in a rural context who people sort of disregard to have such insight, you know, into what was happening in their world. Yeah, so interesting. And then from a school perspective, how does understanding how children experience hope and well-being allow schools to focus on the needs of these children? Um, I think that what I learned a lot was that relational hope, um, which I think we don't put enough focus on. For children, the first thing was belonging and attachment. You know, you can only start to build hope when you have belonging and attachment. And so that's very important. And when we look at schools, schools are systems, just like communities are, and they work on, on various levels. And I often think that's, that schools have forgotten that connectedness, that relational space in the classroom. It's not just about reading and arithmetic and learning. You know, it's, it's all about a process of being and becoming. Um, and for these children, it was very, very important, right, to, to feel that they belonged, to feel that there was a sense of identity. Um, and then you could give hope and you could be hope. So I think that in a schooling context is very important. And I think another finding that was very relevant to this, which I'm kind of working in my own research and work with the Faculty of Education, is that the children spoke about being a holder of hope. So they said that hope can never be gone completely, but when you feel like you've lost a lot of your hope, you mustn't throw it all away, 
you must give it to someone to hold, right? And then you can go to places like a police station or a clinic or a school where they can help you rebuild your hope, right? And so when I further asked them, well, what's this holder of hope? And there's a very precise phrase that they were using. And it, it kind of conjures up this image of, you know, here's a keepsake, like hold this for me. It's very valuable. And it's this responsibility of holding someone else's hope while they get their life together, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that they can have a back. And, and that idea sort of grew on me in terms of teachers, you know, because teachers nowadays are so much more than just pedagogists, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this whole idea of when I'm going through a rough time, you know, to have someone that I can trust to hold on to whatever little semblance of hope I might have so that I can rebuild it. And I thought that's an amazing role for a teacher to have. And so I'm starting to look at the idea of teachers as agents of hope and change um, and what that entails for both the learners, for the school, uh, for communities to have schools that are beacons of hope. Yeah. And obviously you travel a bit for work and you attend events and conferences. So then in your experience, when it comes to hope and feelings of hope for the future, are the experiences of children in South Africa unique or do you think it's something that children around the world experience? I think in some in, uh, aspects it's it's global. Mm. Um, I think it's the Afrocentric worldview I'd say is unique to an African worldview. And, and I'm quite aware, I don't want to generalize because Africa is a continent made up of so many um, languages and ethnic groups and cultures. But I do think that there is a collectivist oriented worldview that is probably universal among many indigenous populations around the world. This idea that a human being is connected, connected to other members of his or her community, past and present, uh, connected to the land, connected uh, to the world, connected to, um, um, to kind of each other and that has been lost and not only in indigenous population has it been uh, quite significantly lost but I think worldwide when I visit schools in all kinds of socioeconomic brackets um, children are disconnected you know families are broken um, children are dealing with a lot of issues uh, the sense of community is gone. We all live in different sort of uh, geographical areas. Families break away and travel. And that is crucial for a child that's developing is to feel a sense of connectedness to a community, a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, this is where we see at risk. You know, this is where we see children start to align with uh, negative role models. We, we start to see behavior that is angry and frustrated. And so to me, that sense of connectedness and engagement is, is universal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it should be happening in all schools around the world. Um, but at my work is more so with indigenous populations because of the history of oppression and violence and trauma that indigenous populations have experienced all over the world, that sense of identity that was so crucial in the way of life, in the way of being, uh, needs to kind of come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I see with a lot of children is that a lot of programs towards hope and success and resilience is focused on mastery, it's focused on success and achievement. But a child coming from a collective oriented worldview or from an indigenous connected type of worldview, you first need to belong, you first need attachment, you first need to know that you have a sense of identity and connection. And only then when you feel that you are connected, will you then start to achieve and succeed and um, and grow and flourish, right? Mm. So for me, often the focus with intervention programs 
are aimed at helping children learn and succeed, you know, um, extra support, remedial. But we're missing a key thing, which is really children need to be connected to each other, to their community, to their teachers, to have a sense of value, to have an identity of who they are and what their value is in that community and who, who their past is, who their present is and who their future is. Yeah. That's important, I think, globally. That's all for this episode. If you're interested in learning more about Dr. Charrington's work on this topic, I'll pop a link to the research paper in the transcript for this podcast, which you'll find at teachermagazine.com.au. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from Teacher, you can download any of the episodes in our archive. Just visit acr.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acr. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine supported by Sound Scouts, the free hearing check for school children, helping to identify and eliminate undetected hearing loss. Sound Scouts is supported by Australian Hearing and the Federal Government. Visit soundscouts.com for more information.